to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host Katrina Van Eyck and in this episode I interview a husband and wife team who have touched every part of the wonderful aquatic industry. So please welcome Nancy and Tony Shaw to the podcast. Nancy began her career in swimming after marrying Tony. She brought her customer service skills to Tony Swim Schools and together they built a fantastic career in swimming. Her amazing list of achievements in the industry are raising three lovely children who all took part in swimming. Owner-operator of Tony Shaw Swim School for 22 years. She has attended all of the Swim Australia conferences and presented at six of them. She organised and presented at the 2000 New South Wales Asta Teaching Stream Conference. She is also a presenter of Swim Australia courses on behalf of Asta. And she has presented at the International Swim Schools Conference in Phuket in 2014. She is a member of the Swim Australia Aquatic Community Experts Board since 2014. And she's part of the Swim Australia Advisory Committee since 2016. She was a representative to the National Swimming and Water Safety Forum in May 2017. And she was also a representative for the New South Wales Government Water Safety Forum again in May 2017. She represented ASTA and Swim Australia to the ATO re GST free swimming lessons and represented ASTA and Swim Australia to the F. WA re a fitness industry award update. She also attended the International Swim Schools Conference on Hamilton Island in 2018. Now Tony began swimming when he was young and achieved medals at national level competitions. He then took his swimming success and expanded into the coaching field helping other swimmers reach major senior and junior swimming teams including the Olympics Commonwealth Games and World Championships. Tony's inspirational list of achievements are being a performance accredited coach. He was president of the Australian Swimming Coaches and Teachers Association from November 2013 to November 2020. He's a life member of ASTA. He's a board member of the Australian Swimming Coaches and Teachers Association for 39 years. Wow. He's an Asta Australian representative coaching ring, and that coaching ring is number 93. He's a board member of the Asta New South Wales. He's a former chairman and also a former board member for Swimming New South Wales. His coaching experience spans 41 years, since 1978. He's placed swimmers on all major teams, including Olympics, Commonwealth Games, World Championships, both long and short, Pan Pacific Championships and junior teams. Won the Australian Sports Medal for Sydney 2000 and he's a member of the SOPAC Swimming Club and former head coach. He has a private swim school owner since 1978 and that's Tony Shaw Swim School in Toonagabby, New South Wales and he's also the director of Holesworthy Aquatic Centre in New South Wales. Nancy and Tony offer so much experience and wisdom to the industry and this podcast episode. They are a delightful couple who have dedicated their life to the aquatic industry, helping shape and expand the industry. 
Through today's episode, Tony and Nancy share some insights into their work as well as their thoughts on swimming in Australia and where they see swimming moving to in the future. Please share your thoughts on Nancy and Tony's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you will find their contact details listed at the end of our show notes. If you want to share your aquatic journey, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. And I know my audience would love to hear your journey in swimming as they could learn so much from your experiences. So let's jump in and find out more about Nancy and Tony's journey in swimming. So how did you start your journey in swimming? I started as an eight-year-old at Watson's Bay Bar, so I was taught to learn to swim by a teacher, then, then moved up to an, another person. His name was Mr Smith. That was way back in the day. Like I said, when I was eight, that's what started my journey. Then it seemed it was about the only sport I was good at. I was no good at running. Couldn't run to save my life. And so swimming became a big part of my life. So my father looked up a coach, and that coach happened to be Terry Gathercole at Victoria Park in Sydney, Sydney University. And that was began my competitive swimming journey. Made state and nationals and that sort of stuff. Won medals at state, state champion, and medals at nationals. Wasn't national champion, but I did win medals at nationals as well. Then... Obviously, in the, in, back in the day, you're 18, you've just done your high school certificate. I wasn't going to university, so my father said, you've got to get a job. So I started the job and kept that going for about two years and then moved to a real estate position and then started teaching with Terry Gathercole two days a week and then decided I wanted to do it full time. Terry put me on and then my coaching career started at North Sydney Pool. Working for Terry, he, he had the coaching rights there. And he, as I said, he rang me up and said the guy wasn't working out. Would I be interested? And my answer was yes. He said, good, I want you there at four o'clock this afternoon. I said, what do I do? And he said, you'll work it out. <laughs> oh, okay, right. I had a bit more of a chat with him and, and got a, a few ideas. And then I can remember when I swam and some of the things that we did. So I walked in there and that's how I started. And then I uh, worked for him for four years. And then in 1978, bought Alex and Eva Bory Swim School at Toongabby. And that was huge. I think I was about 26 when that happened. And it was a big step up. And I've been through recessions. I've been through GFCs and all, all those sorts of things. And it's amazing how the industry has changed over those years mm-hmm. and how much because of ASTA, and Swim Australia, how much the industry professionalised itself, about particularly around the methodology of both teaching and coaching. The transformation has been absolutely amazing. Wow, what a history to go through. Oh, yeah. I've got plenty more too. (laughs) (laughs) And Nancy, how did you start your career in swimming? My career in swimming, well, actually, Tony's my second husband. I was living in... Coffs Harbour and we met in Coffs Harbour almost literally bumped into each other and we started a relationship where I think we didn't go more than three weeks not seeing each other either I came to Sydney or he came to Coffs Harbour and eventually 12 months later I moved down 
to Sydney. But in Coffs Harbour, I was I had a retail shop, and so I was heavily invested in customer service. So I brought that with me, and I had a fabric and haberdashery shop, and I did dressmaking. So when I moved to Sydney, my aim was to continue with my dressmaking in wedding gowns and things like that, and I'll just help out at the pool <laughs> just to get settled. So I came over one morning a week and then three mornings a week and then five days a week and then, yeah, kept it going and started up seven days a week <laughs> eventually. So I helped build up the business because Tony was still running it with the assistance of parents of swimmers once he was divorced as well. So then I came to Sydney and 12 months after that we got married and a couple of weeks we'll be celebrating 26 years married. Congratulations. That's so, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it's not, is it? It's not a hint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's written up in big letters on the fridge. Did you see that? Yeah. I'll send you um, an email, Tony, just to remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so swimming-wise, basically uh, I didn't have a lot of knowledge except as a parent. All my children learnt to swim in Coffs Harbour and went went to club. The, the eldest two went to club for a little while. So basically that was it. So what I learnt was just by watching what Tony's teachers were doing at the time. And then within 12 months, Swim Australia started up and ASTA invited teachers to come to the conference on the Gold Coast. So I went to the very first conference for teachers and I've been to everyone ever since. And so what I learnt in swimming Basically, I learned at those conferences and it got to a point where the staff had hate me going to the conferences because every time I'd come back, I'd change everything. So, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a good organiser and my forte, you know, as I said, was customer service and we worked on that and developed the customer service and interviewing staff and getting the right people. And now the swing industry has become a passion. That's amazing. As it, as it does, yeah. Yes, yeah, you get so involved in it and... <laughs> Yeah. It just takes over. I yeah. love the fact that you've brought that other element of customer service into it. And at the time, it sounds like it was really needed with the swim school and you've been able to come together in your own areas and build such an amazing service. Yeah. Well, when I first started, I think Tony's swim school had been through a bit of family trauma, obviously. And I think there were about five or 600 lessons a week and we sold it back in 2015. We closed the business and we were up to, you know, 1,800 to 2,000 lessons a week. So, wow. yeah, we, we developed it quite well over that period that I'd been there. So I'm very proud of that. Yes, yeah. that's amazing. And, and from being the only swim school within five kilometres yeah. to having two others within two kilometres of us. And what that did, and I said to Nancy at the time, I said, we've just got to make sure we're doing the best job. And if we can get all our staff on that page to do the best job, we'll go okay. And we did, and we built it, even though there were two other swim schools in close proximity. And when when both of those opened up, I think for a month our numbers dropped, but then they came back. Yeah. And Tony's always been... You know, when I've gone through programming, it's always nothing happens unless Tony approved it, obviously, because I didn't have the swimming background. But he was very adamant that what we taught was technical swimming, yep. not song and games. 
you know, for the little ones. They really, from a very early age, they had to start to learn technical swimming. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's how it all started. Wow, what a history. And now to be <laughs> able to take on such amazing roles, we know that we're in good hands in the industry. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. So out of all the history that you've had in swimming and careers before that, what was the biggest lesson you've learned in swimming? Or is there a few? We cover. Patience, and that applies both to teaching and coaching. Yep. You've got to have patience. You've got to be able to communicate and you've got to smile, yep. particularly in teaching. <laughs> you can get cranky as a coach, that's okay, especially when you're working with some elite kids. But that's part of the course. And there are no shortcuts in either teaching or coaching. There's things that you, if you've got to do, basic things you've got to do in both to be successful at both. Continue to learn from other coaches and teachers uh, and colleagues who are in the same industry. And that's been the beauty of both the ASTA and Swim Australia conferences. There's been that interaction there and talking to a few people in the last couple of months saying to us, we've got to have a face-to-face conference. We need a face-to-face conference where people can interact with one another and, and do that sort of thing. The webcams are fine, all that sort of stuff, but you're looking at the screen. We mm-hmm. need that interaction again, which will be great when we can do it. And it doesn't matter if it only goes for three days. Mm-hmm. People will come because they want the interaction with yeah. their colleagues and they yeah. want to see them again and see how they are, what everybody is and that sort of thing. So, and, you know, you never stop learning. People that get accreditation and stuff, that's only that's the start of the journey of the knowledge that you need to get going as you're going through. And you do that by attending those sorts of conferences and mixing with people with like mindset and like-minded interests. It's fantastic. Yeah, biggest lesson, I think coming from that customer service background, it's even more important with the parents coming through your swim school. I have a saying that I that I use all the time is if you see someone without a smile give them one of yours and the number the number of times we've had inevitably you have confrontation with customers can be over something very minor but those people that come to you with a negative you continue to be positive and nice to them and eventually you turn them around and they can become your biggest supporters and I've seen that over and over again and that's just by being yourself and being nice and being positive. Whatever you think about them in the background, keep that in the background. When you're face-to-face, smile and be nice. And I've enjoyed that journey. When we do staff training, I always include personal development section as part of the staff training. And um, the biggest lesson there, I think, is just seeing the way staff develop, both as a swim teacher and interact personally. I think that's wonderful that's a highlight for me I really love both of those drawing on the fact that it is continuous learning but you also have to have the patience to develop yourself but patience with your swimmers with the industry and to be really able to build a successful business and swimmers out of it you really need to take that time with them but always be willing to learn and develop those skills yeah that's all I think the industry over the years has, like Tony said, become more professional. And from the, the swim school side, you just have to do everything right. Like, you know, OHS or WHS, 
Fair Work Commission and the, the awards and all that sort of thing. And the more you take on the responsibility of doing everything that you have to do and more, and I've always found that the best way to get more customers is to give more to the customers that you've got. So if you're able to give back, you know, if you've had a really good month or something or Christmas is coming up, if you continue to give back, then you're rewarded because they tell other people and word of mouth, you know, is your biggest positive in your business. Yes, yeah, word of mouth is massive and I found that here in the country. The recommendations that come through have just made such a difference in the memberships that I've got in the swim club as well as in my swim school and more people are coming, those younger generations are coming because everyone else is recommending them. I think that's, yeah, really fantastic. So some really great insights there into swimming and you've spoken, Nancy, about your highlight of seeing your swim teachers develop professionally. Has there been any other highlights in your swimming journey so far? I think promoting yourself and your business, especially when Tony was at Produced Olympians, but that's one of his highlights. But that's a big part that everyone at the swim school was proud of that because they'd see these kids walk in and out over the years. And I think to see the growth of some swimmers as well because one of Tony's Olympians, Kenrick Monk, started as a what 11 year old and went through squad and then started working part-time learn to swim and and then eventually now he's out on it well obviously he was an Olympian and now he's out on his own coaching so to see that growth we've also had two marriages within our swim schools um We've got two swim schools, or we had two swim schools. We've only got one now. But at Tony Shaw's swim school, there was a couple there that I didn't even know till they almost were engaged that they'd been actually seeing each other for a couple of years. So they were very professional within work. Yeah, and now they've got three beautiful daughters and, you know, they're doing really well. And then at Holsworthy, which is the other pool that we have, Holsworthy Aquatic Centre, there was another couple there too. And, again, I didn't know. I just see kids laughing and joking and having fun with each other, but they were socialising and they eventually got married. And I I think that's wonderful that you can develop people to such an extent as that. Another highlight, I think, from the swim school point of view was we've had a couple of people that came to us as part-time jobs, which Learn to Swim teaching is, and through doing that, changed their vocation, either to become teachers to go back and do teaching or one young man went and became a, a childcare worker mm-hmm. and all through through teaching swimming as a pocket money job and changed what they were doing in their life. I, I think it's amazing that you can influence people like that with something positive that we do with swimming. Wow, that's amazing. Like you said, it's yes. better influence someone to either fall in love and get married and have <laughs> kids or to be able to take on another role and realise those skills that they have. That's fantastic. What great highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your turn, Tony. What have you got for us? Highlight, obviously, would be being president of ASTA. I felt very honoured when I got the job. I was a bit nervous about it, but it has been an absolute pleasure and honour to be president of ASTA. COVID-19 certainly bore that out when we've run 60 webinars across 
teachers, coaches and swim school owners. And every one of the people that we've had that have spoken on those webinars didn't expect to be paid. As soon as we asked them, they said, when, when do you want me to do it? And I think that's marvellous because people were concerned for each other. And I think that showed and, and, and certainly put us in a lot more contact with our all our membership COVID. So if there's a positive, that's it. I think the biggest number you had was over 600, wasn't yeah, it? 600 and on one Zoom. Almost 700, one, one Zoom meeting with Bill Sweet and he spoke. Wow. It was just amazing. But, you know, they were probably averaging 300 at one stage. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, it's, that, that's probably from that perspective, the fact that, you know, I've coached three Olympians, a young lady called Casey Gitter, who went to uh, 2000 and started me started again as came to me as an 11-year-old and I asked, so that would make you 17 years of age for 2000. I think the way you swim and, and the way you're going to develop, you can even make that turn. And she subsequently did. Wow. What's that? Years later. Yeah. A lot of work went into her that to get her there, but that's okay. But that happens with it with with all of them. So and the other two were obviously Kenrick and another young bloke that came to me as a fifteen year old, Grant Brits. Those two went to uh, Beijing. And I was fortunate enough to get deck accreditation as a home coach. So I was right with them all the way through those those Olympics. Amazing time. Amazing Grant won a and he, he was a member of the four by two two relay that got a bronze medal. Oh, fantastic. He was an actual into the final as uh, part of that relay team. So that was the highlight of that. Meredith Commonwealth Games. I've had Meredith Smith. She was my first representative swimmer out of the 25-metre, six-lane 25-metre pool at Turn Gabby. She went to the Commonwealth Games, missed the Olympics as a 14-year-old by two hundredths of a second. And as an 18-year-old, missed it again by four hundredths of a second. Oh, no. So, yeah, wow. yeah. But she did Commonwealth Games. She did Worlds and won medals at, at World Championships and World Short Course Championships. The boys won medals at World Championships, World Short Course. Kenrick was actually in 2008 a world champion in the tournament free at Short Course. But, you know, I've had swimmers on every major team and I've had kids on all the junior teams as well. Some of those were those guys that I've just mentioned. Uh, others just made junior teams, didn't make the senior team. But it's been a ball. I've had a ball. and But worked hard. Quarter past four in the morning, <laughs> up and gone, in the pool by five. I had to be at the pool at five to five to get in the door. And when they came in, in we went after about 10 minutes of doing some, some exercises before they got in just mainly to wake them up more than anything else. Yeah, especially at that yeah. time. I'm normally sleeping in. Oh, well, yeah. I'm dedicated yeah. to get it's up a, early. It's a, it, and, you know, you give up weekends to go to swim match, you give up weekends to do camps and other stuff. But that, the camp situation was a lot of professional development went into that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's my, my deal. Wow, amazing, amazing history to be able to pick that talent and develop them and know that in a few years' time of meeting them, they will be at those Olympics and put that hard work in and dedication mm. to be able to bring them there. I think that's absolutely fantastic. What a history you both have. So was there anyone that played a big role in your swimming journeys? I would say everyone who presented at an ASTA conference. 
no one person in particular other than Tony, of course, <laughs> um, because I learned everything from him to start with. But the people that give up their time to do presentations at conference, there's a lot of work goes into a one-hour PowerPoint presentation, as you're probably aware now, you know, hours and hours of research and, and work and experience that they bring to the conference. So going to the conference every year is just wonderful, catching up with people that you've met from the year before. And it, you might only see them once a year, but you still consider them friends and this day and age a lot of those associations you catch up with on Facebook as well which has been good but swimming wise yeah you can learn from every single one of them and I've always believed that when you come back from a conference if you come back with only one thing that really changes what you do in your program or how you work with your staff then it's all been well spent. Yeah. And I really like that ties in with what you said before, Nancy, about coming back from a conference and your staff dreading it because you had so many changes. <laughs> I've always been the same. I've only been able to go to one ASTA conference so far in Brisbane and just the stuff I came back with, pages and pages of notes and I yeah. all these ideas to put in my little swim school and just meeting people. I met my coach again from when I was young, swimming in South yeah. Australia. I saw her, I made contacts with my mentors that I've never met in person. I think it's just amazing to be able to get introduced to those people and then continue that relationship with them over social media and when we do get to meet in person. And and then you get to be friends, you know, people that you might never have associated with before that to just go up and talk to a speaker at the end of their presentation. It's amazing what can develop from that as far as contacts go. Yeah. It is. And just the knowledge you can learn off that one person or, you know, the many people that you meet and they've spent that time to develop and be able to offer their time for free to share that professional development with everyone. It's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, it's great. And hopefully, so let's hope we, hopefully we can have another one next Yes, year. yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, I, I um, went ISO shopping and I bought a nice, lovely dress to wear at the yeah. conference. So I can't. I've done that too. Yeah. I was all prepared. New shoes, new dress. Never yeah. got to wear it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it will. We will. Yeah, we'll be any, back there. Yeah, any occasion. Yeah. <laughs> played a big role. Well, lots of people have played a big role in my coaching journey, that's for sure. Terry Gathercole. I modelled the Toongabby Swim School on his Kalani Heights, both he and Carol Gallicott, his wife. The four years I spent with them wasn't just coaching, was talking to them about the business and all that sort of stuff. And so when I bought Toongabby, I had a pretty good idea of how I wanted it to be run and what I wanted to do. And I'm very much modelled on on both Terry and Carol, the late Terry Gallicott. And I had a, a network of people that I would talk to almost weekly, coaches who and people like the late Terry Buck, Doug Frost, Ian Thorpe's coach, Gary Winram, Forbes Carlisle, the late Don Talbot. I actually, he coached me after Terry went to the US and he coached me and he also mentored me as a coach. Michael Bowl, Vince Rally, Greg Salter, Ken Wood, Dennis Cottrell, to name but a few. Wow. And and Dennis was a legend in our sport and what and some of the people that he produced, uh, Hacky and others, um, uh, Gian Rooney. He, uh, he had t- kids on, I think, six 
Olympic teams wow. in a row. Ken Wood did likewise. Greg Salter came out of Emu Plains. He had at least uh, Eva Borey's swim school out there and then moved to Kingscliff. And he had, I think, three Olympic teams in a row and he was a coach on two of those Olympic teams out of a little town, seaside town called Kingscliff up there on, on, the, on the north coast. And, you know, you just shared ideas and it helped you coach. You'd exchange, what did you do this morning? That would be the opening line. So then you'd go from there. I think it's wonderful that this industry, Katrina, is so open with sharing knowledge. That really surprised me. It's not like, I don't know what they do in other sports like rugby league or AFL, but the coaches actually sit and talk about what they do and how they develop their swimmers. Uh, It's not a secret because if the swimmers don't have the talent, it doesn't work anyway. But, you know, Tony would regularly have meetings with these people, or not meetings, even just conversations. He can spend half the day on the phone talking to different coaches. But they're sharing knowledge all the time. I think that that's wonderful in our industry that we're able to do that. And I think it highlights it too because we working together I mean every like you said the technical side of swimming is the same for everyone but the individuality that a swimmer brings to it that a coach enhances is different for each swimmer so it's not like you're going to poach an idea Um, exactly yeah it's something that you know I, I can adjust this for my swimmer and it may not work for every swimmer so you're not really in that competition I suppose And it comes down to the grit of the swimmer as well. So if someone else has a way of enhancing that or developing it, has an idea, then by all means it takes an amazing journey to be able to develop them. And if someone else can help you along that way with advice and hints, it's great to to be able to work together. And to see the amount of time that Tony as a coach would spend writing his programs before he'd go to the pool especially even afternoon, you know, it's not as though they just turn up at the pool and start coaching. There's a lot of thought and planning goes into it and that all comes from experience. And if speaking with someone like Doug Frost in the morning, he thinks, oh, I might try this this afternoon, you know, that he spoke about with that other coach. I I think it's it's great, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, I know I find when I first started here out in the country, I felt very, very isolated And then you sort of get overwhelmed by everything when you actually do connect with the industry and see what's out there. But it's great to know that there's other people that may have followed the same journey as you, but they've progressed and they've done so much that you can learn from their journey as well. Exactly, yeah. And you can can learn from their experiences and, you know, that's why whenever I go to meetings of coaches, one of the first things I'll say to them, ask the question. If you've got a question, ask it. it. There's never a wrong question. Never. And you might find that some people are experiencing the same things that you are that you may be having problems with and it's easily fixed by someone else who's just say, hey, try this. Mm. That'll yeah. fix it. And that's, that's, what, the, that's what it's all about. I found that at conferences and the online training, you know, you ask a question, there may be other people in the same situation of you that are being scared to ask it. Yeah. But, you know, you need to know it as well. If you're a young coach or a young swim teacher coming into the industry, you know, yep. ask those questions because people have been there 
even they, you know, they may look scary or they may look and you think, oh, no, they're going to think I'm stupid because I'm asking such a simple question. They've probably had to ask at the start of their career as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's on a learning curve. That's right. Yep. Mm. And that brings us perfectly into our next question. What advice would you give to a new swim teacher and coach coming into the aquatics environment now? Very similar to the, the, the question of what is the biggest lesson I've learned. You've got to communicate, as I said before, with your kids in the learn the swim lesson. Have a smile on your face. And coaching is very much the same thing as well. Never stand still. Always keep moving. And some coaches become statues. And if you don't want to become a statue because you're going to have a seagull go past you one day and go plop. <laughs> because you're standing still for so long. You don't want to be doing that. You've got to look at people from different angles. And the same as teaching. I see teachers going up the pool over at Holsworthy. And I was watching this girl do this. And she was going up the pool, walking up the pool with this kid, but she was standing on the side. And she was. I knew what she was doing. And I said to her when she came up to the end, I said, you're doing a really good job with that kid. You're right on her about what, she's, what you're trying to do with her. And I think it's great. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing you've got to do all the time. And you, you learn from others. You learn from these kids that come in at three and four years of age and haven't been near water. The first thing they're told is not to talk to strangers. Don't go near the water. So they're going to cry. Yeah. yeah. And they don't want to leave mummy's side. Mm. Oh, yeah. Listen, go with that stranger into that water. It's going to get a reaction. Yeah. Your job to calm it down. That's basically what I... The advice I give, and learn from your colleagues. You know, again, I've already said that, so that's that's my point. That's brilliant. I think also the the advice that you can give is, like I said, there can be a career pathway from learn to swim. So a lot of swim schools have high school students, and you can have them for you know two years of senior high school, and then four years of university. So that's you know that's six years that they're earning earning an income. And as I mentioned, that can change their career pathway. But even within swimming itself, you can start off as just a basic learn to swim teacher, but there's so many areas you can divest into. You can work with children with disabilities. You can then move up to your junior coaching and then up to your coaching. And then from a coach, you can buy a swim school. So there is always something that that you can learn from. And like Tony said, don't be afraid to ask questions, even as a a new learn to swim teacher. The observation period of you walking up and down the pool with an experienced teacher while you're doing your training hours can be invaluable for the rest of your swimming teaching career. That, you know, if you don't ask questions, you're never going to learn. So it's all about investing in what other people can give you. So again, be patient with it all. It's not going to happen overnight, but some people might think it's controversial, but with swimming, teaching, fake it till you make it. You know what you're supposed to be achieving and you know what you've learned in your courses, but put a smile on your face and pretend that you know more than you actually do and you'll come across in a really positive light. I really like those uh, comments from both of you and I think that's the thing about spending that time and I always say it when I present courses, these shadow hours that you must complete is the perfect time to learn so much and rocket your swim teaching out of the park to be able to learn so much from people straight up 
that have been in the industry, I think it's just the perfect time to develop very quickly. But then also take the patience to find out where you want to go as well to develop that niche. And I think that's something that probably as an industry we need to do a bit more is promoting that career pathway. As you said, you can start from a swim teacher, you can go to a coach and then you can buy your own pool and run your own program. I think we concentrate a lot on getting those people in, you know, while they're doing uni or as part-time jobs to be able to promote and say, okay, you can start from here and build to here, or, you know, you can do the admin side or you can be a duty manager or any role in the aquatics. I love those army ads where they say, oh, you know, do you want to be an engineer and you can work on a tank? I think that's something that I think swimming would really benefit from to show the general public that you can do this, you don't have to go to university, but there's so many roles in swimming that you can have. Mm. Yeah, that's Absolutely. a good point. Yeah. Mm. Very good. In this day and age, you need good IT people in your admin as well because it's all social media and apps and all that sort of stuff. So you need to bring the young people through because they've got the confidence and the experience with that sort of thing. Mm. And that's very true. And there's so much we can use technology for in swimming. And as it develops, there's going to be more and more and more. So those younger generations that are really able to understand that side of it, I think it's a fantastic time. And to bring those IT professionals in, I mean, man, if I had a good IT professional, it would be so much easier. (laughs) So for you, what does swimming look like in the future? That's a really good question. I think the basics of swimming, and I'm presuming you're talking competitive swimming, will always remain. But what we've got to do is one of the things about society these days, people are time poor. And in most households, both parents are working. And that even compounds it even further. So we've got to make competitive swimming more attractive to young kids. And there are programs that are being started up by some couple of the state associations that are bringing in their byline or ambition is to make it fast, furious and fun. And it's just racing. They're not racing the clock. It's racing. And they get three teams of 40 kids in each team and they, they hold a swim meet and they do loud music, they do uh, chocolate wheels where they're going to do a two-by-fifty relay and you pick the strokes to do and that sort of that sort of stuff. And it's all fun, but there's a point score and there's a winner. Yep. And they're racing. And kids love competing and racing, whether it be running around a soccer pitch or on a netball court. They love doing that sort of stuff. Yep. So I think we've got to work more on that and I think that's something that the, the – national body will start to address in the near future and what is a swimming club and what does a swimming club do why does it have to have meet every month to have a meeting we've got to make it easy for people to become involved and and you don't have to necessarily be on a committee to do that and people's lives change things happen in people's lives that nobody's got any control over and people can't make judgments on other people. And uh, I think that's something that as individuals we need to look at as well. So the change, not much, but there has to be some change. You know, given the number of swim schools that we have, 
through this country, and I don't know the exact number, but it's got to be more than 1,500 and probably close to 2,000, you know, that aren't either belong, either belong to us, Oswim, or, or, or ASA. They're not there. Where are they? And, and what are they actually doing? So we need to do a bit more research with that. But swimming as a sport can't change that much, but we can deliver other things that will get them involved, get the kids involved first up. I mean, given that I think we teach about one and a half million kids a year in, in this country, where do they go? Mm. To AFL? To netball? I mean, there's career paths for netballers these days. I mean, they love Kate Campbell a couple of years ago. She's six foot three. She's a lot Lucky we snatched. And, and they get them at eight-year-old. Yeah. You know, so, it, you know, we've got to be careful what we're doing as a sport, with, especially with those younger kids. We've got to get them involved. That's brilliant. Um, where do I see it in the future? I would like us all to try and follow Laurie Lawrence's lead for aiming for zero drownings. It's a tragic, tragic situation if you lose a child to drowning or even worse, lose a child who is brain damaged from drowning episodes it can it can change a whole family structure what we do is not just a sport it's a life lesson and I think we like Tony alluded to before during the GFC swimming lessons didn't really drop off much because I think parents and families realize the value of them that it's not it's not a luxury it's actually an essential service and during this COVID period, it really highlighted that not many people realise that. The governments, I mean, we were one of the last industries to be allowed to reopen, for example, and that has been really hard because are we educators? Are we an essential service or are we a sport? We're a combination of all of those things and governments need to understand where we sit so I, I think we need to do a lot more work on that in the future so that we are considered an essential service because all the, you know, Royal Life Saving, for example, they do a lot of promotion through the summer about drownings. But who's going to stop the drownings? It's us. It's our industry. We have to teach these kids to swim. So it's not just about running a business and potentially making a living and an income. It's about saving lives. And so, therefore, we are an essential service. We, we just need to get the, the government people to understand that. So hopefully we can work towards that. That would be my aim. Yeah, yes, and that's it. it. It's an amazing point there, Nancy, to be able to show that, you know, we are a life-saving service and that's something we have really pushed during this COVID time, mm-hmm. you know, to make that prominent. And it is... I suppose with a lot of industry professionals in aquatics, it felt like we were hitting our head against a brick wall with the government not realising what we provide. Especially for you guys in Victoria. Yeah, it, it's yeah. been tragic. The, the amount of time that the kids have been out of swimming lessons. So, you know, they, they're going to be, you know, one step forward, two steps back. It's yeah. going to take them a while to get back to where they were when they stopped having swimming lessons. And so with summer coming up, it, it's essential that they're back in the water, at least getting some of their skills back. Then it's going to take a long time for them to get back to where they were, especially the younger ones. Mm. 
you know, we always say to people, if you stop swimming for six weeks or more, it's going to take half that amount of time to get back to where you were yeah. when you stopped. Yeah. So if they've been out of the water now for six months, you know, it could take three months, could take to the end of summer to get back to where they were when they stopped. And, and we've got grandchildren in, in Melbourne, so we, we know that they, you know, really missed their swimming lessons. You know, dance things they could do on Zoom, but you can't do swimming lessons on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And there's only a certain amount of dry land training you can do on Zoom and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, even for the older kids. But the little kids aren't interested in that. They want to get in the water and splash around and have a bit of fun. But at the same time, they're learning a life-saving skill. So I think towards the end, we sort of got that message through to the Victorian government, but it took a lot of hard work a lot of hard work by Asta Swim Australia and other bodies, yeah, to, to get that happening, that they understood. I think in Victoria, what is it, um, ARV? Yeah, there was there was a, a working group formed yeah. that, that got yep. that going. Yep. and The Victorian Aquatics uh, Industry Alliance. That's right, yeah. Alliance, yeah. Yep. So that was, that was good that, that all of those different groups got together as one. Yeah, um, They did a similar group up in Queensland as well. And Reese Rackley, actually, with all the pools he has in Brisbane, he was asked by Brisbane City Council to make suggestions around how we can get these pools open. So wow. he was very active up there in that area. Yep. And, I mean, I hope that's something that continue because, like you said, Nancy, we need to really definitely continue to push that through the governments to find out where we stand and to be able to set that in concrete and say, well, you know, if something like COVID happens again, we are an essential service that needs to stay open. I think that's something if we can continue pushing that and, you know, get people involved, then hopefully we can come out of COVID bigger and better and to be able to say, next time it happens, this is what's going to go yeah, on. Yeah, with some positive feedback and positive information for families, yeah. Mm. Because we're never going to get to zero drownings you know, if you go six months without a swimming lesson. Yeah, that's right. It's not going to happen. I mean, Victoria even announced that their their drownings during this COVID period have been increased 300%. Yeah. I mean, that is tragic, absolutely tragic. So, you know, that needs to be considered. And I think also being a Victorian myself, coming out of this the last lot of restrictions that is lifted and I looked at it and there was no increase in swimmers' from outdoor pools or indoor pools and I just felt so tired from trying to push 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 expecting that hopefully this Sunday we were able to lift our numbers and not have to worry about caps and then nothing changed and I think it just that whole roller coaster of emotions is really yeah. for a lot of people quite yeah, hard. It is. Very yeah. hard. The problem is obviously we're not getting the message across but, you know, I mean, I've been to a number of things in New South Wales where New South Wales government and uh, have held meetings and the first people they turn to is Royal Life. What we've got to do at some stage, there may have to be an overreaching body that represents the industry because at the moment when COVID happened, the reference point was the AIS document for pools and how to get swim clubs back together and that, that sort of thing. But that was not fit for purpose. Mm. And the work Joe Love's done on the treatment of pools 
around water treatment that COVID can't survive in these pools that are chlorinated and have ozone and and UV as part of their filtration. Nothing survives that sort of stuff. COVID's just another thing and, and that is so hard to push. So I know Brendan's keen to do it, is we need to develop how we can become more, Aster I'm talking about, the leader in the industry. Sport's different. But the industry leads to the sport as well. But we need to be recognised for what we do. And at the moment, we're not. And we need to change that royal life. And And surf life-saving. And surf life-saving aren't the people who are at the forefront of teaching these people life-saving skills. That is the problem. And they get funded to the hilt. Yes. Well said. (laughs) <laughs> multi-million dollars a year yeah, we'd like some of that money please yes that's right <laughs> i think i'm just gonna leave that there that was just a, a perfect perfect statement it's exactly how i feel i think yeah it's crazy the fact that yeah just the work everyone puts in and it's not recognized yeah I, i'm gonna leave it there because that is an amazing statement exactly yeah. what needs to be done yeah and it needs to be said out loud Yes. So they all of a sudden the pollies might just pick their ears up and actually listen. And I know Greg Hodge in Victoria, he got pretty good value out of Alan Jones on mm. Fox. So, yeah. And it's amazing through this COVID experience how many people have stepped up in the industry, ones that have probably had the thoughts but never said it. And now yeah. that they've yeah, they've just had to they've had enough, they've put it out there and they've made such a change in the industry. Well, Asset Swim Australia has been unbelievable, actually, the stuff that they've put out to everybody, apart from all the webinars and things, but all the collateral that they have that as a member you have access to to help self-promote your business, it's just phenomenal, really, Mm -hmm. and they're continuing to do that. So, And they're doing that with the funding only from members. You know, it's not government funding they don't get any government assistance and they're a not-for-profit organization so you know if they could tap into some of that government funding imagine how much more they could do to help with that it would be absolutely amazing and it's so fantastic that they're willing to do that stuff straight off the bat it's helped everyone to be able to promote like you said promote the industry especially if you haven't got that IT person that we spoke about earlier. That's right, yeah. To be able to offer those and such a professional way as well. I really love it. Extremely professional. It's been fantastic, yeah. And I think something that's probably gone unsaid here in Victoria is the amount of time that Asta has put into Victoria when they've had the whole country to run but they've spent 95% of their time working at Victoria, trying to get us out of the second lockdown and really build the industry here. And I think as a Victorian, it needs to be said, it needs to be put out there. I'm very thankful for what they've done to be able to get us where we are. And I hopefully that, you know, it can continue and but it can then come back to normal for you guys as well. Well, I'm also on the Swim Australia Advisory Committee and we meet once a month. And at that time when other states were back, but Victoria wasn't, we had a lot of discussion about that, that we need to continue to support 
Victoria. And I think we all should feel, as an industry, very proud about that because nobody's left on their own. We're all part of a national body and we're all there to help each other. And like we said right at the beginning, this industry is one of the best industries that I've ever heard of that is happy to share knowledge with each other and the continued support and those town hall meetings that they had just to let people know that they were there, that they weren't forgotten. I, I think, you know, Swim Australia and ASTA, we should all be very proud to be part of that association. That's right. Well said. Any better than <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so how can we as an individual and as an industry promote and develop Learn to Swim and the competitive side of swimming to encourage more participants but do all that with less funding? Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's when you say with less funding, I think that's we need to change that, like we just said. We need to get more recognition from government that our overreaching body needs help. And if we are to be considered an essential service, I think all those things tie in together. And from a management point of view, if we can, you know, get that little circle happening that, you know, kids learning to swim, need a swim school, needs assistance, needs some funding, less drownings, that sort of circle. So I think that's an area that we continue to push we we need to spend more time on that as an industry yeah I really like that you know swimmers competitive swimmers whether they're Olympians or not doesn't matter if they've been in a competitive program have to be very organized people Mm. because of the hours that they train at and we need to promote that because employers do like Form swimmers because they're organised. Yep. And, and dedicated. And dedicated and they know how to goal set. They yep. can set goals because they've been taught that. So they're all the great things that we need to promote about competitive swimming. Mm. And it should be leading, you know, Swimming Australia should be leading that charge. Yep. And it's not hard to do. So there's lots of things that I'd, I'd like to see happen in Swimming Australia around this particular point which is how do we get the interaction of swim schools how do we get them saying if we could swim as our swim school and not have to go and push kids to go join a swimming club down the road because we don't have one that might be that that might just be a, a, a difference not it's not for every swim school obviously but it's certainly probably more than 60 percent of swim schools would be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it, so I'll be asking for some feedback from the uh, advisory committee because it's, I'm not president anymore. I usually <laughs> attend the meeting ex officio, and so I'm just going to barge in and just do it anyway. <laughs> 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 and ask the questions yeah, and see, yeah. see what sort of feedback we get. I really like that idea and I think like you said earlier, connecting, so going, connecting those swim schools to the competitive swimming and then building the career as well out of that. I think we all need to work together and not have that gap between the two sides of the industry. You need the swim schools to be able to develop the swimmers to then send them on to competitive. They don't just suddenly appear as a competitive. Exactly right, yes, yeah. 
So it all starts in the learn to swim pool. And, and, and it's amazing how many ex-swimmers are running swim schools. Yes. And, you know, people like Andrew Balden, you know, Bill Kirby from Western Australia, he's got four swim schools. Yep. Um, Darren Lang. Darren Lang. Sam Riley. Sam Riley. The list Michael, goes on. There's Michael just Quinn. an abundance of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah Michael. Yeah. Hayley Lewis has still got her swim school. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, you know, the, the swim schools have been very good to some of these former swimmers, that's for sure. And Olympians, yeah, they've done very well. And they should have some ideas of how to, how to get it happening as well. And I'm pretty sure if you can swim and represent your swim school, there will be buy-in from swim schools. Mm, that's right. Yep. And I mean, that's the thing. It's prestige. It's getting their name out there. It, you know, developing those swimmers, everything that you want to you know, build in a swimmer and build in the industry, you can do that in your swim school. So I think Actually, Katrina, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in New South Wales, um, the government has what they call active kids program. Yep. And every child gets a $100 active kids voucher twice a year uh, that they can use on sport or associated activities, like even dance, but swimming lessons in particular. And they're now talking about that in Queensland. And if that could become a national thing, that every state has that available for people to assist them with funding for sport, we might be able to reach a few more Mm. children. Well, they've just announced that they're bringing those out for Victoria. So, that's right, starting in January. Yeah, yes, I did read yeah. that. Yeah. So that's something yeah. we need to really click on is to, yeah, jump on that background and say those yeah. can be. Well, it's worked, it's worked really well in New South Wales yep. for us. And, yeah. and the New South Wales, it's one of the most efficient funding organisations that I've seen because we put it through our computer system today. It'll be in our bank tomorrow. It's wow. amazing. You don't have to wait for your money. So some of these schemes that the government's put up, you've got to wait and wait and wait. However they're doing this and whoever's organising it, Victoria yep. needs to maybe have a chat to them because it's it's been fantastic for swim schools. Yep. Yeah, and it makes such a difference to be able to get that discount for families to yep. hopefully, yeah, push some of those lower-income families through and get onto that learn-to-swim. Yep, yep. And I think it's amazing seeing the connection and how many great ideas there are out there and that you you have yourselves being in the industry and the history you have, that you're still coming up with some fantastic ideas and fantastic <laughs> connections that you can make. Well, you never stop learning. <laughs> yeah, never, never. I'm an example of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That was my last question. And I've got so much out of this podcast, interviewing both of you, learning about what you've done and what you can see in the future for swimming. So thank you very much for coming on board and taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. It's been interesting. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. And thank you for asking us. That's all right. Thank Definitely. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank and good luck much. with your new role, Tony. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's going to be, there's challenges, but there's opportunities. Yes. And on a board of like-minded thinking people, which is great. Yep. And we've got to mend a few bridges and we're about to do that. So that's good. Yeah. I can't wait to see, like I said earlier, such an interesting time for swimming, having yourself on the board with Swimming Australia, Kieran Perkins now as 
the president, Joanne Love, has asked her president, I can't wait to see what happens in the industry and how we can blow ourselves out of the water and expand so much. I will just add there, Katrina, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that there's a pathway for women as well. Yes. Um, we sort of, we didn't really come on to that, but it's wonderful to see Joanne take that position and Lynn Elliott as vice president. So the two president, vice president of our association, Asta Swim Australia, are both female. And Joanne Love's sister is also in Victoria. She's president of Victorian Swimming. So there are also pathways for women in not only learn to swim, but coaching and administration in this industry. I was was looking at, I'm now on the receiving end of emails from Victorian swimming and they're just advertising for like-minded female coaches to apply to do a high performance type course to try and get them flowing in to the sport because you know I mean it's not it's it's male dominated there's no question about that but it's any female that I talk to who's involved in coaching wants to be known for her coaching ability not whether she's a female or a male, doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and coaches, especially for our national teams, are, are picked for those national teams on what they've actually done. And they've got to have an athlete on the team to be eligible for a start. So I've had lengthy discussions with quite a few ladies who are involved in coaching and they say, look, we're coaches. We want to be known as really good coaches. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing. And that's a lot of what Joanne's uh, Love's work is all about. She did a lot of research uh, here in Victoria with Sue in Victoria about what's inhibiting female coaches going those further steps to becoming high performance because yep. we have a lot of female swim teachers, lower level female swim coaches, but then once you get to those higher ranks, they're not around they disappear and I think that's really good to be able to have someone like her in a high level as well as her sister and a lot of other females coming through because it's definitely showing where females can go what you can do there there are eight states and territories and they form the stakeholders of swimming Australia six of the chairs or presidents are female now wow Mm. Yeah. I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah, it's big. It's wow. big. So when we need to be promoting it, well, something Australia needs to be promoting it. Yes, and I like what you said in your comment is uh, with coaches that they need to be promoted on what they can do if they're the right person for the job, whether they're male or female. But I think these opportunities get more females up there. Yep. It gives them the industry knowledge to become right for the job and right for those exactly. jobs. So I take my hat off to Swimming Victoria on that one. That's a good initiative that they've started, and I think Joe's probably one of the people behind it. But it's we can get our national body to do the same sort of thing, and they're only they're not far from one another. Both offices of both Swimming Australia and Swimming Victoria. No, I didn't realise that. It was only a couple of years ago I realised the head office is in Melbourne and it confused me for quite a while thinking (laughs) we got two addresses. But, yeah, that's right. They're not far from each other. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, Again, thank, thank you. you. So much. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.